This is a Career Channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at www.uctv.tv careers for videos, employment news, and trend articles to help recent college graduates and grads in career transition bridge to better employment. Hello and welcome. My name is Jennifer Davies, and I am the Assistant Dean of External Affairs at UC San Diego Extension. I'm here today with Travis Bradbury, who is the co-author of Emotional Intelligence 2.0 and the co-founder of Talent Smart, which is a global consultant firm that offers services and products to help boost emotional intelligence. Thank you for being here today, Travis. Thanks for having me. I think the first question is, you know, what is emotional intelligence? We've heard that bandied about. What is it? Emotional intelligence is your ability to read and respond to emotions in yourself and in other people. So on a personal level, when you're demonstrating emotional intelligence, you're aware of what you're feeling um, and you're able to respond to that effectively to produce the behavior that you want. On the social side of things, emotional intelligence is really picking up on what other people are feeling, what they're trying to communicate, what they're experiencing, and being able to use that information to make... um, your relationships more effective to, to improve the quality of the relationships. On the, the there's four emotional intelligence skills in all, and on the personal side of things, you have self awareness, so that's awareness of your emotions and self management. On the social side of things, you have social awareness, awareness of what's going on with other people, mm-hmm. and relationship management. Okay, so now is emotional intelligence the same thing as EQ 2.0, or what, what what are the differences of that? Yeah, well, the, well, the book's it's Emotional Intelligence 2.0 mm-hmm. is is the name of the book, and and really what it's it's um, that name is very intentional mm-hmm. because uh, historically people have really known um, it's really easy to find books on what emotional intelligence is, mm-hmm. and it's very hard to find books that show you what to do with it, how to improve your EQ, and mm-hmm. that's a really important distinction. Mm-hmm. Because um, emotional intelligence is a flexible skill that you can actually improve and change with effort. So, you know, we dedicated the you know, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 to teaching readers how to improve their EQ. So, you know, uh, the book includes a, a passcode. You can go online and test your EQ. Mm-hmm. And your test results pinpoint which of the book's 66 strategies will increase your EQ the most. Oh, okay. So the whole process, the book is just geared towards improving your emotional intelligence. And so that is the, the, the difference between, like, say, IQ and EQ. It's like people say your, your IQ is sort of st- set, static, and you can't improve it. But you're saying that emotional intelligence it's, it's, you can. Yeah, absolutely. The, the thing with IQ is it's the, they, they've done these wonderful longitudinal studies mm-hmm. where they follow people from age 5 all the way to age 50. And IQ is it's not what you know, but it's, how, um, it's, it's the pace through which you assimilate information. Mm-hmm. So they found that you know, it's measured relative to your peers, and people have the same IQ at age 5 as they do at age 50. Mm-hmm. Emotional intelligence, and, and that's due to plasticity in the brain. That area of the brain isn't very resp- um, flexible mm-hmm. and responsive to change. Uh, emotional intelligence, that, that area of the brain is highly plastic, and you can actually improve and, and increase your EQ or watch it go down mm-hmm. um, with effort or without it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a highly flexible skill. But so when, we, when we're talking about emotional intelligence, you go, oh, I can make my relationship with my husband better. But you're saying that there's very important impacts on your career in terms of having a strong EQ or emotional intelligence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Emotional intelligence is, is a, 
a very distinctive skill in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You have these thresholds of competence for IQ in the workplace. So I'll give you um, doctors, for, for example. So at the, at the UCSD hospital here, and, and anywhere physicians work, they, there's, a, there's a th- an IQ threshold of 130. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. rarely have physicians with an IQ below 130. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it peaks at 155. Mm-hmm. So you have this really narrow range of IQ to become a physician. And the, the physician with an IQ of 50 doesn't really operate all that differently from a physician with an IQ of 135. Mm-hmm. But it's the physician who has emotional intelligence who sets um, him or herself apart. This is the person who has that intellect and, and, and that, that um, knowledge, but they, they respond to people more effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, they have better bedside manner. When they get into administrative roles, they're better leaders. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, they keep their own emotions and sometimes their personal lives from derailing their career and making bad decisions. Um, you know, um, leaders and, and, and physicians don't typically make bad decisions because they lack intelligence. Mm-hmm. They make them when their emotions and these other parts of life uh, get in the way and cloud their judgment. And you actually had some interesting statistics about how EQ or emotional intelligence is more of a predictor of success than IQ. Can you go through some of those in terms of earning power, in terms of, you know, career successes? whatever that term is? Sure. Well, cognitive intelligence only explains about 20% of how people do in life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and 50, 60 years ago, uh, research psychologists um, sort of, their mode of operation was in line with a, a really popular joke at the time, which was, what do kids call the nerds once they grow up? Mm-hmm. And they call them boss. Mm-hmm. Because people back then believed that IQ wasn't just the most important determinant of success, but it was the sole determinant of success. Yet study after study showed that IQ only explains about 20% of how people do in life. So um, Howard Gardner was one of the first, a Harvard psychologist, that began to ask himself, what other cognitive capacities indicate how people do in life? And um, he, w- he proposed the theory of multiple intelligences, and emotional intelligence um, statistically covers a lot of the- this ground. Mm-hmm. We've tested more than a million people now, my company, Talent Smart, and we find that emotional intelligence explains about 58% of how people do in the workplace. So it explains, um, you know, when you run a regression analysis, it explains a really, really big mm-hmm. chunk of how you perform. Uh, we've also found that 90% of top performers are high in EQ. So it's a, it's a very, very direct path to success, whereas only uh, 20% of bottom performers are high mm-hmm. in EQ. So it isn't a guarantee of success, but it, it, it covers it's a lot of well. ground. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're talking, I mean, uh, what are some real-world examples of someone in a work setting that has used you know, EQ or emotional intelligence, you know, you can say, oh, that person obviously would score high on the EQ level. You're talking a little bit about doctors with bedside manners and being able to, like, take the social surroundings and integrate it into their practice. But are there other examples of, you know, you can say that person doesn't have a high EQ, that one does, if you're in a work setting? Yeah. Well, uh, we published some research in the Harvard Business Review they looked at emotional intelligence by job title. Mm-hmm. So this is a cross-section. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a longitudinal study. We just took, looked at thousands of companies, a cross-section. And we found that emotional intelligence scores peak in middle management. So, um, and from there, it's, it's a ski slope. All the way down to CEOs have the lowest EQ in the workforce on average. <laughs> <laughs> and when you think about it, why do people get promoted into middle management? Well, 
they're good with people. They say, wow, she's really great with people. People want to work for her. Let's make her a manager. Mm -hmm. But how do you become a director and an executive and move into the C-suite? Companies increasingly look at tenure, at short-term financial gains, and it becomes a very short-sighted view of the person. It creates this phenomenon of it's lonely at the top. Mm-hmm. Now, this finding um, is, is kind of contradictory because we say that emotional intelligence is a huge indicator of performance, so why wouldn't the C- shouldn't the CEO be the top performer? Mm-hmm. Well, we find that within each job category, the top performers are those with the highest levels of EQ, right? I, I mentioned this idea of threshold mm-hmm. competence. And they... they, they um, have already crossed the thresholds of experience and intellect, and what sets people apart is this is this skill. So a, a CEO that has high emotional intelligence is someone that um, doesn't allow him or herself to fall into this it's lonely at the top syndrome and realizes that how you impact people still matters. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as a senior executive, you prime the emotional state of the entire organization. Mm-hmm. So we have um, the brain has mirror neurons which unconsciously mirror the emotional state of other people. And as a leader you have a lot of people looking at you mm-hmm. looking upon you um, for direction and for guidance. So when, when your emotions are, are off, when mm-hmm. you're flying off the handle, when you don't connect with people it creates a, 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 a very negative cultural shift in the organization. It's, it's, it's quite, quite bad. Um, an example of someone in a very exalted CEO type position showing unusually high emotional intelligence. One of, one of my favorite is, you know, I have to, I don't know the individual, I don't know the whole picture, but I just know situations mm-hmm. that demonstrate high EQ. And um, there was uh, several years back, eBay went down for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine what kind of dollars are assigned to eBay not being able to run. And they had, you know, they probably had 50 or 60 uh, troubleshooters, I believe it was, mm-hmm. programmers working on, on this fix. And Saturday rolled around and Sunday morning and the site was still down. So Meg Whitman, the CEO of eBay, actually went and sp- spent the day with the programmers. Mm -hmm. And the idea was she didn't go there to crack the whip. Mm -hmm. She went there to let them know that the organization has their back, that Mm -hmm. that everyone understands that they're doing all they can, that this is just sort of a tough luck type scenario, and that, you know, basically to give them emotional support. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a really unusual display of high EQ, and and it has a cultural impact on the organization because everyone hears about her doing that, Mm -hmm. and there was no uh, request to do so. It was voluntary. Well, so that's interesting. So you're saying that CEOs have a low EQ, but yet that's what everyone ostensibly would aspire to, to be a CEO. Do you see that changing, or do you see CEOs realizing, like, I can't play this game anymore. I've got to get smarter about how I interact with people? Well, companies are, are, are getting smarter about how they promote people, mm-hmm. and they're looking for candidates that are well-rounded, because there's, you should certainly hire a candidate that's smart and is seasoned mm-hmm. and you know, knows, knows the company, knows the industry. But, but you want to look at that other factor. There was a, a really great um, illustration of this at the U.S. Air Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't with CEOs, but their problem was they were turning over civilian recruiters mm-hmm. to the tune of 30%. So they would hire a civilian recruiter, they would spend months training them, and then they had a year to hit their quota and get people to join the Air Force. So they were turning over a third of them, it was way too much, it was costing them a lot of money, mm-hmm. and they said, let's use the same hiring process, and this is the kind of thinking that organizations are, are, are beginning to implement. Let's use the same hiring process, we'll, we'll take the same people we would have hired, but we'll also test everyone's EQ. And among the people we would have hired, we'll only hire those that also have a high EQ. 
Well, their turnover went down from 30% to 5%. People were that much more effective mm-hmm. at recruiting people with a cost savings of about $5 million. Wow. So organizations are beginning to look at this from a, at a very macro uh, level, at a very high level, so that they're, they're, they're putting people into those positions that are well-rounded, that have EQ. And they're taking people and working to increase their emotional intelligence. So... Goldman Sachs is a client of ours and has been for, for over a decade. And, you know, they hire the top MBAs in the country. You know, they're pulling kids out of Harvard and Yale um, and, and, and different places. And what they're doing is part of their onboarding process is a leadership program mm-hmm. where they're trying to make these very, very gifted people even more well-rounded by educating them in emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea. You want to take people where they're at and take them to a higher level. And when you're looking for people to promote and put in these senior positions, you, you, you look for those that have it all. Do you have a sense that people with um, emotional intelligence, it's sort of like, oh, I've, I've totally, I've got this EQ thing down. I'm I'm well-rounded. I, I, I get it. Do you see a real gap between people's perceptions of their level of EQ versus their actual? And how do you get, how do you get at that to reveal kind of what, what are the... Yeah, the, the people that, that think they've got it are those that usually don't, <laughs> okay. or they have some really glaring um, Well, because the self-awareness thing, right? You'd even like, look at yourself. Like, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Emotional intelligence hinges on self-awareness. Mm-hmm. It is the, the foundation. Um, you know, we have this tendency to uh, put the blinders on. You know, we grow up in a society that, that doesn't always know what's good for us, and one of the things we're taught is that, you know, we have deficits, we have defects, and, and you can't really change them, and that makes you not want to increase your self-awareness. Why would I look at something that I'm terrible mm-hmm. at? Um, I, I learned that uh, studying calculus here at, at UCSD, <laughs> that that was not going to be my path. I didn't um, even study it, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and... Um, so it hinges on self-awareness. And the people that have high EQs are those that are constantly working to improve. They're looking for, they're embracing the beauty and the blemishes. And they know that by leaning into discomfort, mm-hmm. they can actually increase their emotional intelligence. Um, they can just sort of look for those opportunities to improve and the things they should do differently. So those with the highest EQs are typically those that are the, the lifelong learners. And so that's a good question. Is it, as a, you know, as a parent or as a, as a thinking of it, are you born with an EQ or is it something that is, is it nature versus nurture? Or is it a combination? You know, what, when you look at people with high EQs that come into you with high EQs, is it something that you can point to upbringing or, you know, genetic makeup or, I mean, have you ever kind of studied that? There's, I've, I haven't personally, and there's, there's been some studies of it because there's certainly, um, mental conditions that can impact your EQ. Mm -hmm. And they're typically stream examples. You take um, individuals with autism. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the limbic system is the place that generates emotions. Mm -hmm. And their limbic systems are, um, the neurons are underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. So there's... um, too many of them, they're, they're underdeveloped, they're densely packed, and it's an area of the brain that isn't functioning mm-hmm. properly. So that's going to impact their emotional intelligence. There are some people who certainly um, structurally have, have um, a limited capacity for EQ. But the majority of us fall within this sort of normal range, mm-hmm. and their modeling has a really big impact. So you come out of um, childhood and adolescence, and a lot of how emotional intelligence was modeled for y- you from your parents and your surroundings mm-hmm. sort of sets where you're at, sets the bar, and then y- you kind of take it from there. 
Okay, what's a situation where you you are fairly self-aware and you feel like, you know, you're operating and say your boss does not have emotional intelligence. How do you, you know, what is your role in that and how do you navigate it? Do you, I mean, th- that's an interesting situation, right? Because you can be self-aware, you can judge this situation, and if you're dealing with someone that's not a fair actor, that might be I mean, do you have suggestions in terms of like, you know, just toxic work environments or, or how do you navigate those? Yeah, I, I tell you what, uh, I'm, I'm part of this influencer program mm-hmm. on LinkedIn and I write a, a couple of blog posts a week. And one of the most popular topics is dealing with toxic people, mm-hmm. dealing with difficult people in the workplace and in your life because you're stuck with them mm-hmm. and you can't change them. And that's a very, very important um, distinction. You cannot change them. You can only change yourself. Mm-hmm. It, it's all about how you respond to them, mm-hmm. um, whether you get uh, caught up in this sort of emotional turmoil and their reactivity. Which is and probably has, what they want, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You sort of want you to sink to their level. Um, and it's a lot about boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, boundaries is, are a very huge part of that. And um, so that's really what I challenge people to do is think about where they're going to set boundaries, where they're going to decide, you know, think ahead of time about what, what what their do's and don'ts are, what mm-hmm. they're willing to do, what they're not willing to do, and, and when they're going to engage and, and mm-hmm. get sucked up into that thing. You know, it's, it's difficult with your boss, but the smartest thing you can do is set good boundaries, be very conscious of, of what you're doing in the interaction, and maybe decide if that's the right mm-hmm. place for you if, if you can't do anything else. Yeah, interesting. So w- when we talk about um, boundaries, because when you say emotional intelligence, you think, oh, well, they're just a gregarious person. That's not necessarily true. Emotional intelligence doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert, you know, glad-hatting everybody, does it? Or No, you know, that, it, it's a really important point, because one of the things that people confuse with emotional intelligence the most mm-hmm. is personality. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned that, that IQ and EQ don't occur together in any meaningful way. You can be high in both. You can be low in both. The stereotype is that people with high IQs are low in EQ. Mm-hmm. And statistically, they're not. The, you know, there's, that profile is just as frequent as any others. But it, it, it stands out, right? If someone has a really high IQ and they're really bad with people, it's glaring. <laughs> so people create this stereotype. So uh, personality is a place where people really muddy the water. And they think that personality characteristics are EQ. The correlation between, well, first let me say this. Personality is a stable set of preferences and tendencies through which you approach the world. So if you're, uh, and, and it's fixed by uh, late adolescence, early adulthood. So if you're um, sort of a hopeless extrovert, you're just going to really, you're energized for being around people. You love it. You need it to mm-hmm. thrive. You need to be in that kind of environment. Someone who's highly introverted, um, uh, being around people saps their energy. It's work. Mm-hmm. And they do better when they're on their own. These are personality characteristics. And personality and emotional intelligence don't occur together in any meaningful way. You can be an extrovert and low in relationship management. Mm-hmm. You know, the EQ skill you would think people would be highest in. You can be an introvert and be high in relationship management. The way I describe it is personality is the vessel through which your emotional intelligence is expressed. Mm-hmm. So if you're an extrovert and you're working on your relationship management, that gives you um, insight 
into what situations you might be good at and what you, you, you need to work on. Because mm-hmm. the extrovert who's low in relationship management, for example, is more likely to bulldoze people and, and sort of take over conversations. Whereas an introvert who's low in relationship management is going to be less likely to speak up when they should and sort of grease the wheels of, of the interaction. So it, it gives you insight into that, but they're actually distinct mental capacities. And, and your personality is fixed. You can't change it. Okay, so you can change your EQ, you can't change your personality. Right. So, but you can change your EQ, so what are some of the strategies to change those? I, I, you said there's 66 and you can kind of, you know, depending on where you're weak, like, you pick those. But if you're saying, okay, I, I, I see that my emotional intelligence or my EQ isn't helping me in my, current, in my career right now and I need to make some changes, what, what sort of recommendations would you make to, to someone? Well, increasing your EQ is a very personal process. The, the first thing you need to increase your self-awareness is some very objective feedback. And this is why, um, you know, the, the test that comes with the Emotional Intelligence book is something that we've sold for a very long time for $40 separately from the book. And I'm always preaching, everyone in my company is always preaching, you know, you need to increase your self-awareness, you need objective feedback to really increase your EQ. So we decided to sort of walk our talk and put our money where our mouth is by including the test for free with the book. Because mm-hmm. how can you go about increasing your EQ until you know specifically what you need to work on? It's so much more effective that way. So that's my first recommendation is to get objective feedback through an assessment from other people. Ask people around you what it is you should be working on. Um, from there, you need to work on two or three things at a time. Um, your brain loves efficiency. Mm-hmm. So if you, your old habits are hardwired. So if you're a yeller, you have neural pathways that reinforce that yelling behavior. And when you catch yourself and you stop yelling, those pathways wither and die. When you, um, let's say you're going to work on um, uh, being more social. Let's say it's a need for you to be more social mm-hmm. with people that you don't get along with at work. Well, you don't have pathways that reinforce that behavior. And it's, so it's hard at first. But because your brain loves efficiency, when you begin to repeat the behavior, your, you, your neurons actually can grow billions of arms and branch out to each other and facilitate the flow of information, which allows that behavior to continue. And then it becomes habitual. So that's why I say work on two or three things at a time. And when you catch yourself doing it naturally without having to think about it, that's when you move on to two other things. So the book has 66 strategies, and it'll recommend the two or three you should work on uh-huh. first. Now, not everyone that's watching this is going to read the book. And um, I do a lot of uh, keynote speaking. Mm-hmm. And the audiences always want these sort of emotional intelligence silver bullets. Yeah. The crib notes. The, the cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> so if, so if, if, um, if we have the time, I've got two or three that I'll share okay, with you perfect. that people really like. Okay. So the first silver bullet is to clean up your sleep hygiene. And so when I say silver bullets, it's because these apply to most everyone. And most anyone can do this to increase their EQ. Um, your brain goes through, um, in fact, there's a very good um, research, sleep research department here at UCSD that publishes some incredible research. And your brain needs uh, high-quality sleep. Mm-hmm. During the day, toxic proteins build up in your neurons. This is just a byproduct of normal neuronal activity. So your cells work, these toxic proteins build up, and the trick is the only way you can get rid of them is by getting high-quality sleep. Getting enough sleep and high-quality sleep. Um, That's seven to nine hours a night for most people. And half of Americans do not get the seven 
hours a night they sleep. So when you don't get enough sleep or high enough quality sleep, these toxic proteins remain in your brain. And they make you feel groggy and cruddy and they uh, reduce your Mm -hmm. self-control and they increase your stress levels. They increase the level of the stress hormone cortisol. Now, most people watching this are saying, well, I can't get more sleep. I've got three kids under the age of eight and I've got a demanding job. So that's why I suggest cleaning up your sleep hygiene. And the way you do that is you increase the quality of your sleep. And there's a few things you can do. First, um, don't take anything that helps you sleep. If you're drinking three glasses of wine, if you're taking an Ambien, if you're taking Benadryl, any of that stuff that quote-unquote helps you sleep. Even melatonin? Uh, melatonin, I'm, I'm not so sure about. Okay. But um, if you can get away without it, it's better. And I have a good way to do that. Um, these all, you know, they, they, they impact your brain. They basically sedate your brain. And they don't allow you to move um, through sleep deeply enough and move through all the stages that's going to clean these toxic proteins out and allow you to wake refreshed. The, one of, um, of course, caffeine... Is, is a big one that impacts your sleep. And another thing people do that they're really not aware of that might make you feel like you need uh, melatonin or, or a glass of wine or whatnot is exposure to blue light. Uh, in the morning, the sunlight is high in blue wavelength light. And this halts melatonin production, and it makes us feel awake and alert. And afternoon, sunlight becomes increasingly orange as it moves towards sunset. It tells your brain to start making melatonin to prepare for sleep. And the evening comes and, you know, you're... So you're saying getting away from your screen is what Exactly. <laughs> That's what people do is, they, is they, they eat dinner and then they turn their screen on and it's bright. It's this huge Mac monitor, bright blue light, bathes the, bathes the eyes and the brain. And it halts melatonin production. It tells you to be awake. And so it makes it hard to go to sleep and people don't know why. I can't sleep. I'm thinking about work. Well, you're, you're stimulated. And um, the other thing is it impacts the quality of your sleep. So clean up your sleep hygiene. That's number one. Silver bullet number two is to get your stress under control. Uh, stress has and that a, sounds easier said than done. <laughs> easier said than done, right? Stress has a huge, huge impact upon your emotional intelligence. Um, and there's a lot that you can do because so much of stress is subjective and under our control. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, some great research at, at UC Davis where they taught people to do a very simple and it sounds kind of hokey thing is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. So at regular intervals, they had subjects take a moment to think about what they were grateful for in their lives. And their stress, cortisol levels, the stress hormone, reduced by 23%. Just by practicing a very simple stress management strategy. So when it comes to stress, you really want to get your stress under control because it has a, a, just a massive, massive impact upon um, your self-control. Now, Mild stress, uh, intermittent stress is actually good for your brain. It, it, it causes growth in areas of the brain responsible for improved memory. But when your stress becomes too severe mm-hmm. and it becomes too prolonged, it actually causes degeneration in the area of the brain responsible for self-control. So when you dive headfirst into these ultra-stressful situations, you actually diminish your ability to exercise self-control and improve your um, stress in Those the future. Those are both good tips. <laughs> Well, this has been great. I could talk to you for hours, and it's been fascinating. Um, Thank you again for joining us, Travis Bradbury, who is the co-author of Emotional Intelligence 2.0 and the co-founder of Talent Smart. Um, Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.